Guys, today we're going to move away from the issue of church fighting and all the different issues that Paul was looking at there. And we're going to get into Lesson 8 today, which really is dealing with a subject that, although this was written almost 2,000 years ago, is still relevant today. In fact, if, if we could quote King Solomon from the book of Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. And there isn't. The things that we struggle with as humanity today, what does the Bible say? For there is no temptation taken to man except that which is common to man. Everything that people are struggling with today were struggled with back then. And especially in this area, the area of sexual immorality. Now, as we get into this lesson, I'm going to lay a foundation, and it, you may not like what I'm going to say, but you need to listen to what I'm going to say, because there is no way that any of us can view this issue from a position of moral superiority, that I have got it together. When you consider today, and I just saw some recent statistics, what in our culture today, in fact, there was an article this week about young women are more likely to have an affair than young men today in our culture. Young women are more likely than men to have an affair in our culture today. It used to not be that way. It used to be men did that. But now women are actively seeking. So you consider that. You consider the issue of affairs. You consider the issue of online pornography use. They say more than 50% of men, 35% of women are addicted to online pornography. We can go on and on with these statistics. Now here, so you're saying, boy, we're a messed up society. Boy, I'm, I'm so glad that we, we're, we're saved. Well, here's the scary thing. The statistics are just the same for the church. There's no difference. We have just as many people who are involved in affairs, just as many people who are watching online pornography, just as many people who are doing things that they should not be doing, who are not remaining sexually pure. And so we really can't stand in judgment of a society because we haven't cleaned up our own act. We struggle with it just the same as anyone else. In fact, we will, and we're going to see this today in this lesson, we may even condone it for whatever reasons. We may even condone it for whatever reasons. See, we can condone one activity, but condemn another. And the same, they're the same, aren't they? See, this is what Paul's going to get to today. He's going to talk about the issue of sexual immorality. My friends, sexual immorality is the number one problem in our marriages today. Finances are a big issue, but sexual immorality is probably the biggest issue. I know some of you like to think that it's the gay issue. The gay issue isn't destroying your marriage. Sexual immorality is. Sexual purity in your home is destroying your marriage. That's reality. And we're not dealing with it. But here, Paul deals with it with these folks. Because remember now, he's writing to a church that is in Corinth. Well, let me give you a little background about Corinth. Corinth was a wicked place. I want you to think about a wicked place. Some of you maybe would think about what the French Quarter down in, in New Orleans. Or you think about uh, out in Las Vegas or something. 
This was far more worse than any of that. In fact, if you remember, there was an old proverbial statement from that time that said, not for every man is the journey to Corinth. Why? Because not every man could handle going to Corinth. Because in Corinth, they had thousands of temple prostitutes. The whole structure of that society was based on immorality. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind when we talk about what Paul's dealing with here in the church. So let's look at what he's doing. First of all, the condemnation. Look with me in chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed I was absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together, along with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that he might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, has, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. First of all, here's the report. Paul heard the report that there was sexual immorality in their midst. Paul heard the report that there was sexual immorality in their midst. Listen, when I share statistics with you, don't blow them off, because I know you get so sick of hearing about this poll or that poll in the news or whatever, and it's so easy just to shut your mind out. Oh, no, he's just quoting another statistic. That has no relevance. Listen, actually, I think the statistics don't really tell the whole truth. I don't think they tell the whole truth. Because I still think there's enough dignity in a person that when somebody even on a telephone talks to them and asks them about what they're engaged in, there's enough dignity and shame in a person that they even won't tell a stranger over the phone what they're doing. And the sad thing is, is that we in the church are no different than the people walking on the street except we go to church. Especially in this area. And so Paul's saying, look, man, I have heard a story. I'm not there. I have heard a report that you guys have got some major problems in your midst. You've got sexual immorality going on in the midst of your church. And so he makes that point. And so then he talks about the nature of the offense. They have an offense there that doesn't even make, that the unbelievers wouldn't do. Now listen to me. Think about it. I just told you about Corinth. What kind of place is Corinth? Wicked. I mean, what was it based on? Sex. And so they're doing something that the most wicked place in the world wouldn't do. Isn't that interesting? They're doing something in this church. They're allowing someone to do something in this church that even the most wicked person wouldn't do. So he goes on and he says, The Corinthians, the offense deals with a brother in an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. 
Now I want you to remember now, these are Gentiles. At this time, polygamy was very prevalent. Probably, this is probably a son of a first wife or a second wife or something, but he is probably hooking up with, to use a vernacular from our society here, he's getting with the wife, maybe a third wife, but a young wife, somebody probably closer to his age, somebody that was, quote, married to his father. And that's incest. And here's the problem. He's saying, you guys are allowing this guy in your midst and acting like there's nothing going on there. And, and this, and this kind of stuff doesn't even happen among the unsaved. This doesn't even happen among the Gentiles. Look, and let me explain something. There were some acceptable things among the Gentiles. In the Roman culture, it was okay for a man to be married. She would take care of his household. And it was okay for a man of wealth to have a mistress. She would take care of his pleasure. And that was common back then. More than likely, she was a slave girl. So I'm not sure to understand that this is a permissive society they're in, but even the permissive society draws the line on some things. And they drew the line on this issue of incest. And Paul's upset with them. So here's the point he makes, and I went too far. The Corinthians had proudly accepted the offender. And you can almost see what's going on here. In their immaturity, you can almost see that some of them, and, and this is an issue, we'll look at it later, that they feel that everything is permissible, that, they, that they're liberal, that in Jesus now, because they have forgiveness, you know, so you are kind of doing things that we wouldn't agree with, but you know, Jesus loves you, Jesus forgives you, and because Jesus loves you and forgives you, we're so spiritual we can accept you even though you're wrong. And that was the thinking. They were proud to be able to accept somebody that society wouldn't even accept. Do you understand what I'm saying? When he's saying it wasn't named among the Gentiles, look, does that mean that the society that they were living in would accept what this guy was doing? No. And so they were trying to show their superiority. Remember now, they have a pride issue going on. We already talked about this. They were trying to show their pride, their spiritual pride, in that, oh man, well we can just accept this guy. Yeah, he's not doing right, but man, we have Jesus and he forgives. And that's what's going on here. The Corinthians proudly accepted the offender. But here's what Paul's saying to them. Paul states that they should have mourned and dealt with the brother. They should have been grieved. Let me just stop for a moment. You know what the test of true spirituality is for you and I? You know what the test of true spirituality is? It is not the moral judgment that you give towards somebody who's in sin. Well, I can't believe, I, you know, I can't believe them. I am so glad I am not like that. Remember now how Jesus condemned that kind of attitude. But so oftentimes we, we get into that moral superiority position. That is not a judgment. That is not a test of true spirituality. If anything, that is a test of Phariseeism. See, the test of spirituality is not the moral superiority that we have. The test of true spirituality is the realization that that person 
needs Jesus. And unless they have Jesus, they can't overcome it. And they're in a trap. And they're headed to possibly hell. See, that's the point. You can't sit there in judgment of others. If you have Jesus, listen to this. In fact, I was just reading this in Ezekiel this week. A couple days ago, I was reading in my devotions in Ezekiel. The Lord God says this. And this is, the, this is the attitude of God. If this is the attitude of God, this had better be our attitude. I take no delight in the wicked perishing. Well, God, you know, see, this is the thing. When, when, when judgment comes and the, the lost are cast into hell, God is not going to cast them into hell with a smile on his face. The Bible tells me he's going to cast him with an attitude that he does. He's not, it's not going to be something he delights in. So here I am, and I hear about somebody that I know isn't doing good, and they're, they're facing a repercussion, and I'm saying, oh yeah, you deserve it. Where's my spirituality? I ain't got none. I don't have any. I don't have any. Because that's not a spiritual response. See, this is what Paul's saying to them. Listen, he would rather that, rather than to be proud and, oh, we can accept this guy, even in spite of what he's doing, he says, you guys need to mourn. You need to grieve for this guy. Because you, of all people, should recognize what's going on there. Because, listen, as a Christian, can I be honest with you? As a Christian, you are once, you, you have, you are, I don't want to say this is better because I don't want to have, I don't want you to assume a position of moral superiority, but you have a better understanding of what's going on in people's lives than people who don't know Jesus. And you understand at the heart of it is a need for Jesus Christ. They are locked into their sin. In fact, didn't we already study it before in many other ways? They are blinded by who? Satan. So he says that they should be mourning and that they should deal with the brother. That means they need to deal with this issue. So he goes on and says, here's Paul's response to it. Being absent, Paul has already passed judgment on the brother. Paul's already made a decision concerning this. He says, even though I'm absent from you in the body, I am there in the spirit and I know what you need to do with this situation. He's an apostle. And so he's going to tell them what they need to do. He's going to tell them what they need to do. So here's some instructions that he gives them for how to handle the offender. First of all, the church is to discipline. Look with me in verse 4. Notice what he says. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are gathered together along with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. Paul tells the church to gather for the purpose of dealing with the offender. Discipline is, is a role that the whole church must take. Now, here's the problem with discipline, because we live in an age today that is very tolerant, that very much has embraced the attitude of the Corinthians. And the attitude of the Corinthians is, well, you know, we're spiritual. We should be able just to accept them. No. The first foundational thing that you need to understand as a church is, all of us are required as a church to come together to deal with a person who's in sin because we know that there's a greater issue here than whether or not his feelings get hurt. 
The greater issue is his soul. And that he gets set back on a right path. And that requires all of us. Here, let me explain to you what I'm talking about. How many of you know this in a, in a home? Maybe you came from a home like this. You've got mom and dad. And mom, she's the one with the kids most of the time. She disciplines the child. Dad comes home and he undermines her discipline. Because he doesn't think it's a big deal. What's the big deal? I think you're over... In fact, he'll even argue in front of the kids, you're just overreacting. What does that do with the discipline of the child? Anybody? Confuses? Undermines it? What's that child going to think? I can get away with it. Do you see what I'm saying? That's When we talk about the church coming together, when the church decides we've got to deal with an individual, everybody's got to be on board or it's going to undermine it. And listen, when we talk about discipline, let me just stop. You can write this down in the margin of your notes. Discipline is not for the punishment of an individual. Discipline is for the restoration of an individual. We're not talking about punishment. We're talking about restoration. Does anybody understand me? We're not talking about punishing an individual. We're talking about restoring an individual. Restoring them to what? Their relationship with Jesus Christ. So here he is. He tells, he calls the church to gather for the purpose of dealing with the offender. Then notice the nature. The offender is to be cast out of the church, delivered to Satan. Here's what it says. The people, and, this, and there's been many terms to describe this. Uh, some call it shunning. Some call it excommunication. I don't like that term. But the whole point is, is that as a church, they decide, they say to the individual, look, because of your behavior, and because you are not willing to deal with your behavior, we're going to disassociate ourselves from you. You're going to be removed from the family. And the whole group needs to do that. The whole group needs to do that. So, and, and, and Paul describes it as being delivered to Satan. What does that mean? That they're basically being left out on the, in the extreme. So, again, let me go back to a family illustration. You've got a young guy. He doesn't listen to his mom and dad. He's just going to sow his oats. He's going to do his own thing. Dad says, I want you to take the garbage out. He says, you do it. Dad says, pack your bag, hit the door. The guy says, okay, I'm out of here. Walks outside snowing. He don't got no money. He ain't got nowhere to go. He's going to come to his senses, isn't he? He's going to take the garbage out. That's right. You see what I'm saying? See, this is the point that Paul's talking about here. Just like in a home when you say, look, as long as you're part of this family, there are some guidelines for how you're to live your life as a part of this family. See, it's not the church, the family. And so he says to them, look, deal with them. Now, look, when dad does that, dad may be angry because the boy said to him, I, you take it out. But it was never a question that his dad loved him. See, this is the issue. Love always has to be the basis of all things and doing things with people. Love always has to be the basis. Here's the point. The purpose is the redemption of the brother. 
here's the thing. If you leave that guy go, and you let him go off into his, when you, you kick him out, you say, you're done. I don't like the word kick, but you tell him, you are no longer welcome here. You're leaving him to go do his own thing. And listen, here's the thing about sin. What does sin do to you? It hurts you. It destroys you. You know, sometimes a parent has to tell a child who's addicted to drugs, you're done. You can't be in here if you're as long as you're doing that. And, they, and, and it grieves them. They have to tell that kid to go. And then they watch that kid self-destruct. But he has to come to a place where he's got to be in a what? A ditch before he comes to a sentence and be, before he can come back and deal with stuff. Hey, listen, there's a good point here. Let me make a side note. This may be relevant to you here. It may not be relevant, but it's a good point. You maybe are dealing with something right now, and you're enabling the person who is in sin because you keep making excuses for them. You keep just wanting others to accept them, and rather than just saying, Lord, I give them over to you and let them self-destruct and then pick up the pieces. So this is the whole point that he's talking about, the destruction of the flesh. Remember? This, here's a great illustration of it. We have it in the Bible. Jesus gave it to us. It's the story of the prodigal son. Remember what the prodigal son did? He came and he said what? Give me my inheritance. In that culture, that would be the same as saying, I wish you were dead. Let me have my money. And he goes. And he goes off and he squanders it. He, you know, And he gets down to... And the Bible says this. This is an interesting thing. One day while he's feeding the pigs and eating their slop, the Bible says that he came to his what? Senses. But he had destroyed his life. I mean, think about it. A Hebrew boy feeding pigs? Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? You see what I'm saying? So here's, here's my point. So it's really for the redemption. See, let me just stop for a moment. You gotta, see, and I've seen this happening with parents enabling and parents, you know, and, and then they're grieved. Well, I can't understand why little Billy just can't get over it. Well, because you're, you're not, you're showing any tough love. What we're talking about here is tough love. What we're talking about here is tough love. That's the whole issue. And you know what? We carry that over into our churches now. So we've got a pastor who falls. I've seen this happen. Guy gets up and says, I'm sorry. I'm sinning. Next week, half the church wants to put him back in the pulpit. Why? They don't understand tough love. They don't understand that that guy needs to be dealt with. You see what I'm saying? So he goes on. The purpose of all church discipline is restoration. So here's the rebuke. Paul rebukes them for their pride and ignorance. Man, listen, when we overlook sin in people's lives, one thing, we're prideful about it, especially if it's your children. And the other thing is we're totally ignorant about what that's doing to that person's life. And listen, let me just stop for a moment. It's not just doing something to this guy's life. It's doing something to that gal's life that he's getting with. It's doing something to her marriage. 
is doing something to his family relationship with his dad. Maybe his dad's not even alive anymore. I don't know all the circumstances there. The text does not tell us. But the point is, is that there's an ignorance on our part as to the reality of sin. So when we make excuses, blame teachers, we'll do that today, rather than deal with Jimmy for acting up in school, we'll say, well, it's the teacher's fault, or the coach's fault, or the scout leader's fault. Rather, we'll, we'll blame others rather than looking at the behavior of that individual. And there's ignorance there to sin. And what sin will do to a person? And we need to wake up to it. Especially, can I be honest with you, the issue of sexual sin. And boy, our, our society makes up good excuses for sexual sin. Well, you know, they just need to sow their oats. Let me wake you up a little bit here. I think everybody here... Anybody under 30 in here? Okay. All right. So here, let me tell you something. You're going to be shocked at what I'm going to tell you, but you need to be. From that age of 29 down to, we'll even say 12, there is a concept known as recreational sex. How many of you have heard this? Before, in, in, in our age group, you know, sex, if it was outside of marriage, there was some kind of relationship there. You had some sort of attraction to the individual. Now, maybe they took advantage of you, maybe you didn't care, but there was some sort of a relationship there where sex was involved. That is not true anymore. Kids are hooking up just for the sake of having fun. Because sex is seen as a fun thing, not a relational thing anymore. In fact, they, 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 they call it buddies with benefits. That is the culture in which we live in today. And they get it on their TVs. It's portrayed to them on their TVs. I'm just, I mean, even if you don't have cable, just on your big four. With the sitcoms. And, and so what I want you to understand is that this is the society in which we live in, and you can't be ignorant to it anymore. And it's, it's filtering over into the church. It's in the church. It is in the church. And we need to recognize that. So Paul rebukes them for their pride and ignorance. He goes on here and says, look, here's the point you've got to get asked. The slight presence of sin affects the whole. If there is the presence of sin, it's going to affect everybody. Because sin is not an isolated thing that affects only one person. Everybody understand me? Sin is not an isolated thing that only affects one person. Sin, by its very nature, is like cancer. Usually when you hear somebody has cancer, maybe they got cancer in one part of the body, it's not long afterwards that you hear they have, what, cancer somewhere else in their body. Why? Because cancer, what? spreads. It's the same thing about sin. Sin spreads. So Paul's trying to tell them, guys, listen to me. Don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Oh, hey, it's apple season now. One bad apple, what? Boils the breast, doesn't it? Here's one that's really one rotten potato. 
You guys know that? We got your, got your bag of potatoes and got one rotten. What happened? It's terrible, isn't it? That's sin. That's sin. So, let's go on then. Notice now the command. Look at verse 7. Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Here's what he's saying. First of all, they are to purge themselves of the presence of sin. You know, in our culture of tolerance, it's really easy for us just to tolerate things. But you know what? You can't. Now, here's what I'm saying. Let me just stop for a moment because here's, here's what happens. You can say, well, man, all right, we're going to deal with it. We're going to get rid of the sin today. Get out of here, Bruce! No. Wrong. Don't take it to that extreme. Here, let me tell you how I am with a pastor, as a pastor. I'll pick on Bruce since I yelled at him, okay? Let's say Bruce is doing something he shouldn't be doing. And he still wants to come here, but and let's say Bruce isn't a member. You know, I really can't tell him to get out of here. In this culture, in our free society, I, 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 you, this is a public place. I can't tell him to get out of here. But I can go to him and say to him, you know, Bruce, I love you. And what you're doing is wrong. And God's blessing is not going to be on your life. Now listen, I'm able to do that because Bruce does know I love him. And I'm able to go to him and do that. Now what am I doing? I'm not condoning it because I'm talking with him about it. I'm not ignoring it because I'm, I am meeting with Bruce. And I probably will meet with him several times. And... And he may say something to me like, yeah, I know I've crossed the line with God, but I can't. can't give it up. And I'll say to him, I love you. And I'll be there for you. I've done this many times. See, this, you know, in, we're in a little bit different context than their, their context. But the point is, is you've got to deal with it. You can't just let it happen. Say, oh, well, you know, yeah, there's so... Oh, I noticed they've they've self-destructed over there. Yeah, I think it has something to do with him having an affair, but yeah, I knew about it for a while, but boy. I thought we could, I thought maybe he would come to a census on his own. Give me a break. He ain't gonna come to a census on his own. Well, I don't really want to be seen as judgmental, and didn't Jesus say, judge not lest you be judged? Yeah, but the judgment that Jesus is talking about is you wagging a finger at somebody from a position of moral superiority. Jesus did say, if you see somebody who's in sin, you're to go to them and help them to get back on the right path. And you do that in love. But the point is, is you and I have to purge ourselves of the presence of sin. We have to deal with it. We have to isolate it. In love. In love. So you've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with sin. You've got to deal with it in your homes. You've got to deal with it in the church. Society, that's a different story. Society is a different story. Let's go on now. This would be reflective of their relationship with Christ. Paul's saying, look, as you deal with this sin, 
You're being really reflective of your relationship with Christ. You say, now how in the world is that a reflection of my relationship with Christ? Because you understand the seriousness of sin. Because who died for it? Jesus. See, you can't trivialize it. Oh, well, you know, that's just Billy Bob's character flaw. You don't understand his upbringing, the environment that he was brought up in. Listen, my friends, sin is sin, and sin put Jesus on a cross. Listen, I want you to understand, it will be a reflection, reflective of their relationship with Christ, of your understanding of Christ. So then here's the encouragement. You say, man, after all this heavy stuff, there's an encouragement? Yes, there is. They were to maintain their purity as a reflection of their salvation. This is not just an encouragement to them there in terms of this guy. This is an encouragement to you and I with concern to the rest of our lives. My friends, do you realize that in the Bible, there are only very few times in the New Testament where the writer comes right out and says, this is the will of God. One is, is that you and I are to give thanks in everything. Do you know what the other one is? That ye abstain from sexual immorality. That is God's will for us. You don't need to wonder, well, I, you know, I wonder if this is God's will. You know, that's sort of like when I was in college, I dealt with college kids, I was involved with the college ministry there at Liberty University, and you hear people say, well, you know, we I had one guy say this to me, well, we prayed that God would tell us to stop. So we would, you know, meaning that they were, you know, doing their thing together. What? God's supposed to speak with a voice out of heaven what he already told us in the Word? Do you know what I'm saying? Hey, stop! It might drop dead from a heart attack, too, so, okay. But would they? So here's my point. Listen, we've got to maintain our purity. It's so important. So important. And that's what he's saying to them. So then notice verses 9 through 13. We're going to finish this up. Notice some further instructions here. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly do not mean with a sexually immoral people of the world, or with the covetous, or with the extortioners, or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But I have written you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who... Those outside who, those also out who are outside, do you not judge those who are on the inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Here's some things I want you to think about. First of all, Paul refers to past instructions concerning the issue of sexual immorality. He refers back to the fact, look guys, I've already talked to you about this. And listen, let's just stop for a moment. I talked to you about how prevalent it is in the church today. Let me ask you a question. How many of you had, in all of your years of being a believer and going to church, have heard sermons, have heard instructions about you staying pure sexually and getting away from the garbage? How many of you heard that kind of stuff? Raise your hand. 
We have all heard it, have we not? So this is not something new. So don't sit there and say, man, I wish I'd known this stuff earlier. No, you've heard it. This is the point that Paul's making with them. So he goes on, he says, Paul was not referring to unbelievers since they would need to leave the planet. So Paul's saying, look, you know I told you before not to keep company with sexually immoral people. But then he stops and he says, look, now wait a minute now, I'm not talking to you about people in the culture. Because if that were true, you couldn't associate with anybody. You'd have to leave the planet. Because we already know that a lot of people are doing it and they're condoning it. Is that affairs are normal. Wow. So listen, that's the culture. But Paul says, I'm not talking about the culture. I'm talking about where? Right in the church. Right in the church. So here's what he's saying. Paul was referring to the one who calls himself a Christian. So look, if Bruce is not doing what he should be doing, and he's having an affair, or if he's involved in stuff that he shouldn't be involved in, and I know it, this goes back to the whole issue of discipline. If he's not going to change, because, I, first of all, i got to go to him like Matthew 18 says, and says, Bruce, I'm not, you know, you need to... And if he's not willing to respond, then I need to separate myself from the person who says they're a Christian who's engaged in this activity. And why? Why would I need to separate from you? Hmm. What's the number one thing that unbelievers say about the church? It's filled with what? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Why? Because they see how we live during the week. (laughs) And they see that we tolerate behaviors in people and don't deal with them. But yet we condemn them. They see a double standard. They see a double standard. And they're right. So then here's the thing. We are not to judge the unbeliever, but those who call themselves believers. Now, I can't sit there and wag a finger at people on the street in Kerwinsville. Because I recognize that they need who? Jesus. But I can talk to somebody who knows Jesus, who says they know Jesus, and talk to them about their behavior because their behavior is contrary to who they are as a Christian. I can talk to them about that. It's not my place to go and condemn others who don't, who aren't believers. Remember that now in the culture wars. Remember that. It is not your place to judge those outside of the church. They're doing what their bent is towards doing. What? In fact, Ephesians says this. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, You who were once in dead in trespasses and sins. People who don't know Jesus are dead in trespasses and sins. I can't judge them. Who judges them? God. Let's go on. God is the one who judges unbelievers. So quit assuming the role of God. Let's deal with our own house first. Quit assuming the role of God with people's lives. So then finally he says this. Paul tells the Corinthian church to deal with the offender. My friends, we've got to deal with it. Let's close our time in prayer.